Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dragon's Voice podcast, where we are celebrating our 60th episode with you all on YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor. And what a way to celebrate 60 episodes by bringing on a Welsh football legend, and that is Brian Flynn. Brian Flynn has been there and done that. He has played for Burnley, Leeds, Cardiff, and he has played over 60, he's made over 50, 60 caps for Wales, and he's been there with the likes of John Toshak, Terry Oroth, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. But he has also had a successful period as a Wrexham manager for over 10 years, achieving the Welsh Cup, beating Arsenal, you know, in the FA Cup. He has also managed Swansea, the Wales under-21 squad, and even had a brief spell as the Wales first team manager. He is also responsible for finding out some of the likes of Hal Robson, Carno, Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey. I mean, obviously, Chris Gunter, the list goes on and on. But it was such an honour to be in his presence, even if it was over a Zoom chat. But without further ado, let's get into it. It's me and Brian Flynn on the Dragon's Voice podcast. This podcast is sponsored by DRC Group Limited. DRC Group Limited is an official waste management company based in Cardiff. If you have any waste that needs to go and can't find the appropriate business to do it, look no further than the DRC Group Boys. They will provide you with the best service and positive attitude when it comes to solving your waste issues. And these guys are available throughout the week. If you want to get in contact with them, you can look them up on all their social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook or even Instagram. Or even phone them on their number at 07837 256 124. Again, if you want to contact them on all their social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, or social media, or even their phone number, their phone number is 07837-256-124. If you're looking for the best quality service and the right people to get rid of your waste, then again, DRC Group Limited is the business for you. You, Brian Flynn, I mean, you've been there and done that. So, I mean, welcome to the Dragon's Voice podcast. Um, the one thing that on my on top of my list is um, the two questions, all to do with Burnley, but it's also you're, you're the man who's been regarded as a hero to, to Welsh football. Um, and they say that your heights never got, uh, never really got in the way of your, your tremendous career. Um, so how did it all begin and why Why Burnley? Why do you go to Burnley? Was there any other offers from other clubs like in Cardiff, Swansea or anywhere like that? Why Burnley? Uh, well, basically, I signed for Cardiff when I was 13 and I went there for two years, uh, Tuesday and Thursdays on a train from Port Talbot, train and corporation, corporation road. The, 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 I don't know if it's still there down the road from the old Indian. And uh, at the end of my second season, I had a letter from Cardiff to state that um, to save me travelling, I would be uh, going to the development centre in the Mumbles in Swansea, which sounded OK, because obviously it was a lot closer. But when we looked at it, uh, me and my father, and looked at the, what the players were at Mumbles under the auspices of Cardiff City, they basically were all rejects. <laughs> they, they, they were ones who they've rejected and uh, 
from that point. The rules at that time, you could sign, it was the old apprenticeship footballers. Uh, and the rule, football league rule was, you could have uh, so many uh, um, associate school boys to, to match the number of professionals. So if Cardiff had 28 professionals, they were allowed to sign 28 apprentice uh, associated school boys. Uh, they had about 50 Cardiff. They just signed them and then didn't register them. So for two years, I was, I was uh, going to Cardiff but not being, but wasn't officially registered. And it was actually a Swansea city scout that came knocking on my door, literally, to ask me to go to Swansea for a trial. And my father said, no, he's signed for Cardiff. Well, he, sh he showed us the, uh, the official uh, forms from the Football League which players would sign for Cardiff, and I wasn't on it. And at that time, I began playing for Neath Boys Club. And the, the, the boss of Neath, Neath Boys Club uh, was, was a gentleman called Bill Newlands, who was the famous Burnley scout in South Wales, because they had a reputation of bringing, taking players up from, from Wales. Uh, obviously, Leighton James is the biggest one. Uh, Jeff Payton, who was up from Swansea, was a goalkeeper who nearly made it with Burnley. But so there was a there was quite a few players who used to go up there on trial from from Neath Port Albert area, South Wales, because of Bill Newlands. And in that time, I went up to Burnley, had a trial at Burnley. Then I then had offers from Chelsea, Leeds, Arsenal, which I took up. Uh, but then having been to them, London wasn't for me at that age, at 15, 14. Uh, Burnley seemed the ideal club, what, they, what their policies were, and most certainly in producing young players, and their record in the, in the 70s and er, er, late 60s, early 70s, throughout the 70s, was giving young players a, a, a chance. And that's the reason why I chose Burnley. And it was the best decision I ever made. Because for me, it was like uh, training at a, one of the best training grounds in the country at that time. Burnley were one of the first teams to, to build their own uh, training ground. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. And the manager was great. All the staff were great. Jimmy Adamson was brilliant. The manager in many was a fantastic coach. Great man manager. And... Uh, I was, it was uh, at the young age, it was, it was 250 miles away, eight hours by car, no M6 motorway, all the A49 from uh, Abergavenny all the way up to uh, Preston and then cut across. So it took forever, took forever to get to, get to Burley by car, but uh, it, was, uh, it was brilliant for me because I got my opportunity early, 18 year old in Burnley. Did you ever, um, so I know COVID got in the way with football for the last 18 months, but before and uh, maybe maybe in the future, because you're living in Burnley, of course, you, you've gone to watch Burnley play, you know, um, do you ever get people, obviously a lot of Burnley supporters stopping you going, hey, Bayern, <laughs> fair play to you, you know, a legend. <laughs> well, I still live in Burnley as well, Rich. Yeah. yeah, you're aware of that. So I'm, uh, obviously I'm known locally, but I'm part of a, well, the 70s, basically, the 70s, early 80s, cause when I returned back to Burnley, when Burnley were a little bit in the doldrums in, but in the 70s, we were top four. We were a top four club in the, in, in, in the 70s. Um, 
yeah, I'm still uh, obviously recognised within the town uh, by uh, the, the senior statesman. <laughs> but um, do you know, um, before I mentioned Leeds United, um, just towards the end of your period at Leeds United, was it always going to be Burnley? Going back to them, was it always get young? Yeah, I'm going to go back to Burnley, or was there other offers that you did consider that oh, maybe I should try that particular club or that particular club? Well, well I had uh, nearly seven, seven great, good years at, at Leeds, apart from the last six months. That the, the club was going through a little bit of uh, a turnaround uh, when Jimmy Armfield left. Jimmy Armfield left uh, after. I think the fourth year we'd finished third, fourth, third, and third in the in the first division, and they felt that wasn't good enough for Leeds, so they sacked him, hmm. uh, which was a blow for me because Jimmy Armfield signed me. And uh, uh, after that point, they had uh, <clears throat> quite a number of managers. None of them could settle. The manager who, who actually decided to leave me go was Eddie Gray, uh, and he was. Uh, he was caretaker manager, then got the manager's job, and they they said to me, "There's um, they they had some cash flow problems." Uh, I believed it at the time, but uh, they'd had an offer from Burnley for me to go back, and uh, it seemed, despite I was going down one division, uh, and the team was struggling in that division as well, I felt because I still lived in Burnley. I still thought I was. I wanted to keep playing because I wanted to keep my wit, you know, playing for Wales. And if I wasn't playing in the Leeds team, then, which at that time the manager uh, was picking other players, obviously, I felt my I, to maintain my status with Wales. I felt I had to go and play with Burnley, and that's what I did. And speaking of you know Jimmy Anfield, when he brought you into Leeds United, this was just after I think he just took over um, Brian Clough after his you know forty odd days, forty two yeah. days of madness, let's just say. And uh, I really want to mention Brian Clough because um, there was a uh, in, in the football league, you you, you reached the uh, the football league cup semi final, but it was against Nottingham Forest, so Brian Clough was the manager there. So I bet that was a big. Uh, big form welcome for him at Leeds United when Nottingham Forest came to your area. Uh, if, I, if my mind serves me well, I think I was cup tied that year. I went in November and I think I'd already played for Burnley, so I couldn't play in the League oh. Cup as it was then. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. I'd be in at Ellen Road uh, for the semi final, but not involved playing wise. Mm. Uh, it was a couple of seasons later when we got to another. Uh, another semi-final against uh, Southampton, which we lost, which uh, fam famous, the second leg in Southampton, we were only 1-0 down, they beat us at Eleanor, but we were confident doing it. And we were due to play Southampton in the second leg. And the famous or infamous Clive Thomas was the referee mm. uh, at the Dell. And half the pitch was frozen, and half the pitch had, uh, was soft, and the game should really never knock on ahead. Uh, but we drew, I think we drew nil nil, so us one nil on aggregate in the semi final, which is a big disappointment, I must admit. Uh, but the players used to all the players there Paul Maidley, Peter Lorimer, Eddie Gray, uh, David Harvey, uh, Alan Clark, they all talked about Brian Clough and what uh, they didn't have kind words about him because he tried to change everything there and they were successful. So he just really needs to keep 
going in the same direction, but he wanted to change everything, Brian. When you joined, was Johnny Giles there? Was he still there at the no. time? He, he no, left. Johnny had gone, Billy had gone, Jack Charlton had gone, Gary Spake had gone. Uh, when I was there, Joe Jordan was, was there, but it was obvious that he was going to Manchester United, as was Gordon McQueen. Uh, it looked... Uh, it looked as if them two were leaving. They were two big players for Leeds at that time. But the, all of the the, the Revit era, the, 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 the Paul Madeley was still there. Um, all, all, all the players from that era were... It was transitional year. That's what Jimmy Armfield did. He built the team in two or three years to com- compete at the top. Obviously, we didn't make the, the top spot, but we were close. Mm. Um, speaking of Man United, I mean, there was that one game where you scored the only goal for, for Leeds United beating Man United. I, I only just, funny enough, uh, when earlier on, when I was just looking through some of the uh, notes and everything, I come across a video and it was you scoring a winning goal against Man United. And I think it was at Old Trafford or something like that. Uh, what do you remember about that game? Uh, oh, yeah, um, it's, it's still in the record books. I'm the last Leeds player to score the winning goal at Old Trafford. Uh, I went there a couple of years, well, a lot longer, uh, when Leeds played there in the FA Cup and Jason Beckford scored the winner to yeah. make it 1-0. So they were they had beaten, Leeds had beaten United Old Trafford, but that was the FA Cup, so it was different. So wow. I, still hold the, I still hold the record. And uh, people in Leeds remind me of that as well uh, because it was a, a quick counter-attack and Carl Harris, another Welshman from Neath, uh, who was lightning quick. And as soon as he got the ball, I thought, I'm, I'm going to get in the box here because I know he's coming in. And I just timed it to perfection. Everything worked out great. So it was, uh, I think it was uh, 72,000 there. I uh, scored about the eighth minute, uh, eight minutes to go. So it was good time to score. But uh, finally, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's on YouTube. It's, 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 it's quick, isn't it? It's not on for, and it's uh, blurred pictures. The old ITV uh, Sunday afternoon match, I think it was. Mm. So it was very few games televised then, wasn't it? Saturday yeah. night and then Sunday afternoon was all the games uh, that was uh, televised. Uh, moving on to, I mean, let's obviously talk about Wales, of course. And uh, I, I must be, uh, I must tell you this now. Um, when I obviously I left now, I left this place. But when I was working for uh, Eat Sleep Media, uh, my very first. Uh, job task was to write an article and uh, obviously I did a bit of research on what they did and everything and one of the things that um, they wanted was an article they said oh have you got anything to, to write about and I said well I got this one particular moment that always keeps sticking in my head and I'm glad I got you and um, you here to talk about it because you were in the thick of it you were right in the heart of it uh, and I called it the Battle of Ninian Park which was against Yugoslavia in 1976 yeah. and and I uh, probably tell from your face going, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I, I really wanted to know, because through research, I'm getting mixed stories about it, if you know what I mean, because some reporters would say, oh, this happened, and the fans who were there would say, oh, this happened. But there's one that I don't particularly, I didn't particularly know, but I put it in anyway, was that I don't know what Yugoslavian player was it, but he was on you all the time. And I think you just turned around and thumped him one despite the high difference and everything, you just turned around and clubbed in. Did you do that or was that um, just fabricated story? Um, it was, yeah, it was retaliation. That, uh, it was, uh, it, it did happen. I'm, I'm thankful the referee didn't see it. 
obviously. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it was a well, the, the match was strange from from the beginning because the East German referee called Rudy Glockner mm. uh, wanted to delay the delay the kickoff because the East German flag wasn't flying over in Indian Park. Well, in the UEFA rules, it's just is the home nation and the visiting nation's flag must be must be flown. But he was insisting upon um, the East German flag being flown. I think there was a delayed start. Uh, some of his decisions were poor, strange to say the least. I can remember <laughs> I remember a couple of fans coming over the fencing at Ninian, and two of them, well, one of them especially. You could see by his eyes he was going to attack the referee, and me and Leighton Phillips managed well more Leighton Phillips managed to get in his way and calm him down and send him back. It was chaos there. There was mm. chaos. I must admit. Because yeah. one other thing, because there's loads of pictures of it, right? But most of the time, when I write down Wales for Yugoslavia 1976, and I even got the program, and it's signed by Di Davis. God bless him. Um, uh, yeah. He um. There's, there's always pictures of you. There's you like, whoa, hang on a minute. Where the fan is when you picking up a can or something from the pitch to throw it away. Um, it, it seems to say, it seems to me as thinking, Flemineck, he was in right in the thick. Well, I know you were playing, but Flemineck, you were right in the thick of it when he was kicking off big time. It was, it, it was one never to forget, which obviously led uh, the follow on from that was just playing at Anfield. Mm. Oh, it's uh, a Scotland game, was it? Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, UEFA made a decision that we couldn't play within uh, 150 miles of Cardiff. So the closest one, obviously, would have been was Merseyside or Manchester, yeah. uh, and they decided to, to go to uh, the Welsh. I don't know why, but uh, decided to go to Anfield in, instead. But they could have gone to Old Trafford on Main Road. Mm. Or Goodison Park, 150 miles, could have gone to London, I suppose, in that sense. Uh, but they felt because it was obviously close to the proximity of North Wales that Liverpool would be, bet mm. be better. Yeah. And, and there's uh, another famous game, isn't it? That's another famous game. For <laughs> one of the best reasons. Yeah. Because you were on football, LS teams, football nations, you know, talking about it, and obviously. And uh, the one person yeah. I, I really want to, and Clarify if uh, if I get a mistake, Brian, because uh, I keep getting mixed up with this one. But um, I really want to mention Di Davis because um, I I feel like now from what I've gathered as much information about Di Davis, you know, because I only know Di Davis from Scorio because of what he did on on Welsh TV. Yeah, yeah. But you know, he was a proper uh, a leader, and also he's a not just a diehard Welshman, but he was a proper true Welshman. Anything but. And um, what was the game where, um, he, I don't know if it was him or whether all of you agreed, where the national anthem of my hymn, Blath and Adai, was not going to be played or something, and, and someone said, well, we're going to stand here and protest. Could you uh, explain more about yeah, that? it was the Home Internationals. Oh, okay. We were playing England. It was England at Wembley. And uh, I think it was the year we won 1-0 as well. So all that provocation worked. Leighton James penalty. Uh, Leading up to, I don't know what, why they decided not to, but we just sat, we stood in the line, the anthem, the, the, the British anthem was played, God save the Queen, and we just stayed there, even though it, even though it didn't come on, the anthem didn't come on, we, we made a stance, mm. uh, and, and it worked, 
it was a great motivational tool for us. Yeah. What was um, Di Davis like uh, to be around then, uh, not just as a teammate, but as a, just a person, human being? Oh, yeah. As you said, he was a leader. He was, he was, he was the, the best communicator of a goalkeeper I've ever played with. Uh, I'd be on the halfway line and we'd be calling my name. You're out of position, Flynn. He could, he, and he had that bellowing voice that would, that would carry. Um, he, had, he had the unfortunate nickname from Everton of Guy the Drop, wasn't it? Mm. When people give you nicknames like that, it's, they, they, they stay, they, they never seem to go. But for Wales, he was magnificent for Wales. Mm. Absolutely. He was, he was rock solid. I can't remember him making a mistake for Wales and all the times that he played. And uh, great to be about. Always a uh, always, uh, little bit of cheeky fun, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, loved, loved speaking the language. Loved speaking uh, Welsh. Wherever, I couldn't speak Welsh, unfortunately, but uh, any of the lads who could speak Welsh, he would, he was, you'd often see him chatting away in Welsh. Mm. Well, two games that I really want to mention as well. Um, obviously, it's going to be the uh, when I spoken to Mickey Thomas about it. It's going to be the four-one against England. Mike um, again uh, with Mike England uh, in charge. Um, so, but before I mention Mike England and the uh, and the England uh, win at the race course, what was Mike Smith like as a manager? Because if, if you, I look back at his uh, record, you just, just think, oh, Flynn he hasn't got the, the experience. But it's the background where he he went through the rankings or something like that. He went started from the bottom, then he worked his way up to become Welsh manager, I think, Mike Smith. I could be wrong, but... Uh, Are you talking about Mike Smith? Not Mike, Mike Smith, England. sorry. I, I, sorry. Yeah. Well, Mike, Mike, England's, Mike England, it was his first game for Wales that, mm. when we beat England. And I bet he thought, this management job's easy. <laughs> you know, if we can play like that and beat England, can be England had a had a great team out as well. So they had a great side out that day. But Mike Smith was um I first met Mike when I was again about 14 or 15 when he was technical director of the Welsh FA. And he was uh, and he's obviously at the time people thought because he's English, he couldn't be the technical director of Wales, but he was brilliant, tactically superb. <laughs> great at uh, developing players and <clears throat> knew exactly what uh, the system we, we reverted. Everybody played 4-4-2 then, but we, Mike came up with a system of 4-3-3 and obviously a, a flat back four, uh, but the three in midfield was myself, Terry Orth, who was the, the anchor man in midfield and John Mahoney mm. and me and John were, were were, were, were carriers. We, 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 Terry would get the ball and we'd shift it on we had Tosh up front, Leighton James, who was on fire then, who was terrorising defenders. Uh, we didn't have uh, an out-and-out goal poacher to go with Tosh. Gil Reese, I think, was in the team at that time. Then Alan Curtis came along. Mm. Gordon Davis came along. Uh, you know, these sort of... Look, Peter Sayer had a spell in the team as well. I remember one Nick Dacey from... Who was, from Eindhoven, from PSV Eindhoven came into the squad at later stages, but we didn't have that uh, somebody who could get twelve goals in six games, one every other game, you know. But uh, uh, Mike Smith was uh, technical. I remember going to a coaching course in Ogmore, Ogmore by the Sea, and he was there, and that's when I first met him. And then he was involved. I got involved with obviously the Welsh schoolboys, 
he wasn't actively involved in that, but he was always there watching games, players of a young age to see who he could develop. And it was no surprise that he, he got the Welsh manager's job and he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Mike Smith. He was, everybody liked him. Um, his training sessions are always interesting. And uh, when you get a bunch of players together, like we were at town, we've got that, that huge passion as well. And uh, we were very close. The team picked itself firstly. Uh, and the squad picked itself, 17, 18 players. And the, the odd the odd addition here and there, but it was pretty... For about three or four years with, with Mike, it was... It was it was it was strong, really strong squad, very close knit. Uh, we always, if we went somewhere, we always went together. Nobody was ever left behind, and it was uh, a, a good era for us. Apart from obviously '76 when we got so close, but uh, we had a great tournament that year mm. and some great wins. Going out to Hungary and winning three 0 in 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 Hungary in the, the old Nep Stadium. They hadn't be, lost there for. 30 years and we were the first team to do it so there were great times one game i would like to mention as well is that you scored the i don't know if it was the uh it, it didn't really say and i should have researched this a little bit more but it's against brazil one all and you scored the 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 only goal for wales what was it like to score against brazil it was uh it was it was and not only that reese my managed to score in my head <laughs> it was a header. And I remember distinctly, it was me, Mickey Thomas, and David Giles was in midfield, I think, at the time. It's probably the smallest midfield trio <laughs> that they've ever had. I remember Mike saying, Mike, uh, Mike, I think it was Mike England. Was it Mike England? Mike's, Mike England was the manager then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was. Mike England was the manager. And I remember saying to me at the start, do not go in advance of the ball. I always tried to support the ball from behind because to stop counter-attacks because Brazil are good at that. So ne never, ever get in front of the ball. Mm. Uh, and don't, don't want you near the box. Whatever you do, don't go near the box because if you're near the box, you, you, you're too advanced. And David Giles got it down the left and I thought, I'm going to get in the box. I don't care what Mike's going to say. I got, and I, I got on, the, on the end of it, the far post. I... I, I glamorised the story by saying I beat Dr. Socrates in the air at the far post, but that wasn't true. I just managed to time my run to get the ball far post with, with a header. And Mike came, England came in at half-time and said, what are you doing near the box? I said, yeah, I've just scored, Mike. Surely that's OK if I've scored. He said, I don't, second half, don't go near the box. Just stay out of the box. Uh, but it was... Uh, yeah, fondly remembered. Still got one of the Brazil shirts. I got one of the substitutes. And the story behind that, Joey Jones, who was captain, captain Wales that day. And Dr. Socrates was the, the uh, famous Brazilian player, was the, the captain. And as usual, when they tossed up, Joey asked Socrates if he could have his shirt at the end of the game. And he said, oh, yes, yeah, no problem. You have my shirt and I have your shirt. Not a problem. And Dudley Lewis, who was from Swansea, young Swansea defender, came on with six minutes to go and stood next to Dr. Socrates for that six minutes so he could get his shirt at the end of the game. And he did. I, he I, yeah. it. And he got it after yeah. the end of the game. And then he was sure promised a joke. 
he showed it to me because we, we we went out to film Tosh the documentary, and yeah. we spoke to Dudley, and he just pulled out the Socrates shirt, and I just went, "Oh, never!" And now you see, now I'm thinking, "Oh man!" He was on the pitch for six minutes, and he just stayed next to him, and marking, knowing that if I can, if I'm close to him, I'm going to get his jersey, and that's what <laughs> happened. Joey wasn't too happy with that, I must admit. <laughs> um, so what was your last game for Wales then? What was the last game? I think it was a, an end-of-season tour uh, because we went to Norway and Israel. And uh, I was, it was the first time I was not actually in the squad. So I was just named in the, the original squad. So I was really disappointed leading up to that. And... Um, there was a couple of injuries of players. It was it was actually at the end of the season, so it was the end of May, and it was a 10-day trip to Norway because Wales, we were classed then as warm-up material. You know, oh, we'll play against... Norway thought we'll play against Wales, we'll have a nice, easy game, uh, warm-up game for whatever championships it was. And we went from Norway out to Israel, uh, and we won both games. And I played in the Israel game I think I came on as sub against Norway. I'm not 100% certain, but I think Israel was my was my actually last full international. Is that right, Brice? Have you got some documentation there? He's got Israel. some documentation just looking at the, some of the notes. And yeah, it was one of the last ones played. Um, and it's so many notes. My handwriting, man. I mean, I've, I have worse days, <laughs> but uh, I'm like, writing an old tongue. But yeah, it was one of them. It was the, that one. But I mean, 66 caps and seven goals. Can't go wrong with that. You literally cannot go wrong with that. No, I'm proud of that because we, at that time, I think the maximum games, including all the internationals you play in a season, is probably six or seven. So really, it's over 10 years and it's been consistent over 10 years. Mm. Nowadays, the minimum Wales player international is 10, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they play 10 games a season now without shouting even more when they get to finals. So people can get to 50 caps fairly quickly nowadays. Obviously, they, if they're good enough. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, 66 is a nice number. <laughs> um, going on to, obviously, after Burnley, your, your second spell at Burnley and everything, um, the one thing, one club I want to mention is Cardiff uh, City. And that was the 84 and 85 season. It was only one season there, if, if, if I'm right. Disaster. 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 See, I was just reading, uh, one of the things I was reading on is some of the players that were playing for Cardiff at the time. There was the, the likes of Nigel Vaughan, it says Dean Saunders here, Roger Gibbons, um, Mel Reese, Phil Dwyer, um, Mike Ford, David Grant, Vaughan Jones. Uh, you know, there's some names here, you know, some pretty good names. So what what, what happened during that season now? And why, why was it a, a disaster, as you say? Well, for me, football-wise, it was a wrong decision Decision to make. The reason I signed for Cardiff was because of the manager, and that was Alan Durban. Mm. And I, don't know, I don't know if you're aware, but Alan Durban's from Port Talbot, born and bred Port Talbot, where I'm from. So there was an affinity there with Alan, and he'd obviously, uh, uh, he played for Wales prior, you know, he was a bit older than me, so he was prior to that. So he, he persuaded me, but it was at the time when the club was in the middle of a takeover, and some, uh, it was taken over by some uh, construction workers from Newcastle, Irish they were. I think two of them, but two uh, Irish, they were construction workers, uh, took over the club and 
Phil Dwyer, who's a regular there, uh, Dean Saunders didn't play. He was only a young lad when he when he was at Cardiff. And in fact, when I remember him, he, he went from Cardiff to Swansea, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. The It was just a, the team struggled and they got relegated. And at the end of the season, Alan Durban said to me, um, uh, what's your plans for next year? Do you, everything, do you want to carry on? I said, yes, I want to stay and fight and battle and get the club back up into the second division. And Alan said to me, uh, look for someone else because I don't think I'm going to be here very long. And so you might be better finding yourself uh, something different. And uh, Doncaster came calling. So I went up to Doncaster and played. I did two great, lovely years at Doncaster in comparison to Cardiff because they were filled with young players. It was a young team and they wanted an experienced player. So I didn't run around a lot. They just kept giving me the ball, which was ideal. Uh, so I had two good years at uh, Doncaster. Uh, and then on from that, it was Doncaster to Berry Again, because of the relationship with uh, the manager, Martin Dobson and Frank Casper, the first team manager, a uh, first team coach, who I played with at Burnley. And that was the connection with Berry And my... Uh, First venture during this time, Reese, I was uh, do, doing all my qualifications uh, in terms of badges, uh, coaching qualifications, and other things as well. Uh, I, I did a course at Salford University on supervisory management. Mm. Uh, so I was preparing to go into football. You know, I wanted to see my career to be in not just playing but further my career in football. And my first opportunity arrived from Limerick. We play a coach at Limerick. Strange one, I know, Reese. Uh, but again, the, the the link is Billy Hamilton. Mm. Billy, me and Billy played together at Burnley, and uh, we lived back to back with each other. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, and Isabel, Billy's wife, got on like a house on fire. Even better than when me and Billy got on. So we were close, and uh, he went to Oxford for a good uh, for a good free from Burnley. And uh, unfortunately for Billy, at the age of 31, he got a bad knee and he had to retire. Mm. Uh, so he retired through injury. Uh, Robert Maxwell, the then chairman of o Oxford, uh, looked after Billy in terms of compensation because of his injury. And uh, he had an offer to, to go to Limerick as player coach because he could play out in Limerick because it was a different league and he wasn't professional. And he said he wouldn't take it unless I went with him. So I was, uh, I was not held to ransom, but uh, he said, well, I'm not going to take it. Come on, bro. I said, Billy's from Belfast. Mm. And that's obviously up north and Limerick is way down south. I said, what's the connection? He said, well, there isn't a connection. The person who owns um, Limerick Town was a gentleman called Pat Grace. Uh, and he was born and bred in Limerick and like a lot of young Irish men do or used to is emigrate to the United States and work in the States and he lived and worked in Kentucky does that ring a bell? Uh, KFC you know. yes well he became number two to Colonel Saunders oh Colonel he went up the ladder so quickly. He was bright. He was 
this is, mind you, this is him telling me that, but I can believe it. <laughs> he was bright. He, he wanted to get to the top. He got to the top to be virtually Colonel Saunders' number two. And I haven't done that for 15 years, 20 years. Um, he wanted to come home to Limerick. He went to him and his wife, who, who both from Limerick, wanted to decide to come back to Limerick. And uh, Colonel Saunders gave him the recipe. But he couldn't call it KFC or Kentucky Fried Chicken because at that time, KFC was starting to take off in, in Europe. They'd expanded to come, come into Europe. But he gave him the recipe and he, and he called it famous, uh, famous Fried Chicken. And that took off in Ireland. Suddenly he had shops in Limerick. He had 10 shops in Dublin. You know, so he, he was a wealthy man and he bought Limerick. Uh, he took us over there and they were bottom the league, struggling by six points. He just said, stay in the league, which we did. I played, Billy played the occasional game, but I played most of the games, play a course. These were all amateur lads. Mm. They were as good as gold. They were all... Players were working and then come in and train twice a week. So that was a, a, a different culture for me and Billy, having been professionals. And we managed to keep them up and I got the sack, which in football is, it was a valuable lesson early on in my career because sometimes you can have success, but it's not, not good enough in relative success in keeping them safe. And uh, that was my uh, short start. But it made me more determined, really, to make coaching and managing uh, the road I wanted to go down. Jumping to Wrexham now, you know, as a, as a player and as a, a manager, you know, you, you were there since 1988, obviously started as a manager, I think, in, in 1989. So a bit of a player manager at first for a couple of seasons. And i got to read out some of the success you found. You know, you became fourth division runners-up in the 92-93 season, only just behind Cardiff. Yeah. Ironic as well. And I think it's a bit ironic to say because it's the 92-93 season and it's around about the same time that uh, the League of Wales was formed and most of the clubs, Welsh clubs, that were playing in the English league systems were told, well, you're going to have to come in here. And obviously, I think Wrexham and Cardiff and Swansea were granted immunity to say, well, no, you, you seem to... I, I don't know, but... For my yeah. guess, you seem to be doing well, so just carry on what you're doing. But it's all the clubs in the non-league area, uh, area that had to come back. So, but managed to get promotion to that. Then it was the quarterfinals, FA Cup in the 96-97 tournament. Chesterfield, just looking at Chesterfield, seems to be a bit of a random one. So, uh, well, Chesterfield doing there? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a fantastic period. Uh, we had, we had a re- I built a really good team. We had some great results early on. Uh, we had great results in the FA Cup. I think first Premier League teams hated Cup. We, we played against Premier League teams 10 times in the FA Cup in the third round of the FA Cup. And Manchester United was the only team to beat us in the first attempt. We played five, lost three, drew two. Uh, won five, lost three, drew two in them competitions. We beat Ipswich. We beat Wimbledon, we beat West Ham twice. Obviously, Arsenal was the, the key one. <clears throat> uh, and then we beat Birmingham. Birmingham were in the, in the fifth round. Brian Hughes was unplayable that day. Uh, and he ended up going to, uh, going to Birmingham. Uh, and the worst draw, there's eight teams in the draw. 
there's six Premier League teams, first division teams, and two third division teams. That's in Chesterfield. Mm. And we drew each other. It was the worst possible, not, not for Chesterfield, because they were at home. But the, 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 well, he was even worse than the draw. Uh, well, we're in the quarterfinal. We can get to the semi final. We can beat Chesterfield away. It's not a problem. And the police changed to ele- the kickoff to 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Can you exactly, Reese? Can you imagine playing on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock? There wasn't going to be any crowd trouble. There was only a crowd of only owed 7,000. So why, why play this game? They made, it was so difficult for us. And we, were, we weren't used to well, what, what, uh, talking to the staff and coaches. Well, we're going to have to go and stay on Saturday night. What's the routine in the morning? When do we get the players up? When do they have breakfast? You know, it's, they're, 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 their sleeping patterns are going to be all over the place, kicking off at 11. We're going to have to get them up at 8. I get so up at 11 break, on a Sunday. <laughs> game at 11. It's like unbelievable. And unfortunately, the game was decided on a major, major mistake made by the goalkeeper and Darren Brace, the, the fullback. They clashed with each other. Mm. And the striker virtually literally only had to walk the ball into an empty net. So it turned out to be a disaster in many ways, but uh, it was a great cup run. Chesterfield should have got to the final that year, if you remember. The, uh, the, the semi-final against Middlesbrough. Remember the, the se- semi-final against Middlesbrough? They won the lap. And I think it was Sean Dyche had a shot, hit the crossbar, came down well over the line, and the referee didn't give it. And they would have gone 2-0 up. Middlesbrough had a man sent off down to 10 men. Uh, so the game was over. And then Middlesbrough managed to get an equaliser, drew 1-1, and then won the replay to get to the final. So Chesterfield really should have been there. It would have been great for them. Speaking of the FA Cup, obviously, we're going to have to mention it. Arsenal, um, yeah. race course ground. That, that itself, it's still in the history books. I mean, I've spoken to... So many Wrexham fans, I've, I've managed to have some friends from Wrexham, you know, especially the likes of Tommy Kaus and uh, the bootlegger, obviously, and all them. Yeah. But they always remember, they always, obviously, they're going to remember Wrexham 2, Arsenal 1, Arsenal, the Division 1 champions, you know, the, the one of the best teams in England. I mean, you could, would you say they're still the best uh, team in, in England? I don't know. But back then, I mean, they were on top of the world. So what was it like for you as a manager? To, to prep it all, to get it all sorted, to get, to, you know, just to approach it, how to get the players comfortable. What, what was going through your mind at that time? Because I, I, I probably can't. <laughs> all the best. <laughs> well, um, what we did, um, uh, we set out a plan. Uh, don't forget, the previous season, we'd finished 92nd in the Football League. That's they right. were champions. They were champions. We were 92nd because that season... That season, where we finished ninety second, there was no. It was called the conference. Was it called the Conference League then? Yeah, there was no promotion or relegation. For some reason, the two, two the two bodies had uh, clashed for whatever reason. Somebody had gone out. I think somebody had folded and gone out. And they said, "Well, there's no nobody's going to get relegated." So that's the beginning of that season when we knew that. I said to the chairman. Chairman, I've got five good teenagers. I'm going to play them all season, so the results are going to be indifferent. But these, I'm going to give these young players a chance, uh, and it'll pay dividends in the end. 
people like Wayne Phillips, Lee Jones, Gareth Owen, Phil Hardy, Chris Armstrong. They all played 35, 40 games that season. And that's why we finished bottom of the league, because they were inconsistent. And uh, when it came to the FA Cup, uh, when we were drawn, uh, drawn at home, we wanted to make something, obviously make it slightly different, make it uh, for the players. And we, it sounds basic now, but I asked the chairman, could we stay in a hotel in Wrexham on Friday night? So the players can prepare for it. You know, they train Friday morning, off to the hotel Friday afternoon, relax. It was it was it was a major thing for us. To, you know, we didn't tra- we didn't go to hotels traveling away from home, never mind at home. But we made it that little bit special. And the plan and the, we had a simple plan was to uh, Paul Merson was 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 world class at that time. And we made sure that we had two players near him every time he touched the ball because he was going to be the main problem. And we managed to do that. I said, just stay in the game till half time, and we'd be okay. Something, something unexpected. I kept saying that something unexpected will happen during the game, and it'll be positive for us. Uh, well, they got a goal just. Uh, yeah, they got a goal just before half time, wasn't it? Mm. Yes, that's right. Just before half time, Alan Smith scored, and at half time, my team talk was, "Look, you're still in the game, lads. This is this is there. We can get a draw out of this. We can get we can get a replay at Highbury. That was the incentive. Getting a replay, playing at forty thousand at Highbury, that was the incentive at half time. And because first half we hardly touched the ball, they were that good Arsenal, but we defended well. Vince O'Keefe in goal was brilliant. Uh, so. We managed to stay in the game, and then the very first kick he'd taken all season, Mickey Thomas, and I'm up in the stand thinking, what's he doing? He's not on free kicks. And it was at a distance where oh, he can't shoot. There's no way can Mickey shoot from there. And it's a little bit close for a cross as well. So if you put a cross in, it's going to have to be inch perfect. And Wayne Phillips was with him, but, and I could see him talking. And I could see, and looking back now with the videos, you can see Mickey swearing at Wayne on what to do. You can understand what the words are. Starts with F. And, and, he, and, and Wayne's walked away. And there was only one place to beat David Seaman, the England goalkeeper that time, from that distance, was untrue. And the story is even more glamorised, even better then. And the local lad scores the winner. Local lad from Wrexham, Steve Watkins, scores the winning goal after a slip by uh, Tony Adams. Tony Adams slipped inside the box. Mm. And uh, Gordon Davis slipped the ball through him and Steve slid it in under David Seaman. It was, uh place went wild. But after that, Mickey would, I don't know if Mickey's mentioned it, but after the game, John Motson, who was then obviously... Mm. Uh, match day commentator he did the common famous coat he had his coat on funnily enough the famous sheepskin at Wrexham and uh, after the match we did the in- did the after match interviews all my, my wife and all my mum and dad all the family were up staying over in Wrexham on Saturday night so we had a meal arranged we had a meal arranged win, all, win lose or draw we were going to stay on Saturday night and uh, at about uh, half past five John Watson called me he said uh, 
would you mind doing, you and Mickey doing match of the day for us? Well, my, my initial thought was, I'm not going to London to do match of the day at 10 o'clock tonight, thinking it was filmed directly from London. But John said, no, no, what we can do, we can pre-record it uh, and you can go to Manchester and then we'll record it in Manchester. They'll get interviewed as if it's, you know, it can like, yeah. 10 o'clock. And then I said, I can do it, but there's no chance of getting Mickey. I have got no chance of getting Mickey to Manchester with me. So I went looking for him. I said, come on, Mick, we're, we're, on, we're on match of the day. He said, no, 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 I'm going, bro. I'm going home. He all Mickey would do is get home quick. And I said, oh, Mick, you don't got... He's 37 now. I said, you're not going to be on match of the day again, Mick. This is your last chance on national TV. Come with me. They've assured us they'd be, we'd be back by quarter to eight. Uh, they put a car on for us, took us straight to Manchester, which is 40 minutes down the road. Did the... Did the filming for about 10 minutes and then got back to Wrexham a quarter to eight. But uh, I did well to get Mickey there. Uh, but it was, uh, I changed the fortunes of the football club because the, the, the revenue we got from that and the, and the, and, and the cup games was uh, the catalyst to uh, financial stability then. We, did, we weren't rich, but we had finances were looking a lot better and healthier then. Mm. Especially as well that um, I mentioned this when the uh, Welsh Cup before going on to Swansea and Enya time as uh, Wales uh, under twenty one manager and an even caretaker manager. And by the way, you're the first ever Wales manager to come on my uh, podcast, and I'm really that's why I'm really humble. But, well, everybody's a Reese. Every manager is a caretaker manager, aren't they? Because mm. apart from Fergie, uh, everybody's a. Sean Deitch is not a caretaker. Classed, I think you could only be classed as a manager if you've been at a club for over five years. Because hmm. oh, yeah. otherwise, you're just a caretaker manager, just look, looking after the seat for somebody else. Yeah, a bit like Gavin Chesterfield. I mean, he's, he's been at Barry Town now since 2007. So Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a proper manager. He's a proper yeah, manager. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things I really want to mention is the... It's the Welsh Cup when you won the Welsh Cup against Cardiff, and it was in 1995. But it was the very last time that any Welsh club in the English league were going to play in the Welsh Cup. So how much, how much did it mean to you to? And it, it seems a bit poetic as well because Wrexham, being the the ones who won the, the Welsh Cup the most, would be the one to go right. We'll win it for the very last time. So what did what did it meant for you, the team, and the fans just to take on the Welsh Cup for the very last time? And it, and it was at Cardiff as well. It was you at know, Cardiff, was it? Oh, yeah, it was, it was wasn't it? Yeah, Arms Park. Yeah. It was, it was at the Arms Park. And, uh, it was at the race course. <laughs> Sorry? I kept thinking it was at the race course. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was at the Arms Park. And Nathan Blake terrorised us when we played Cardiff. He, he caused us so many problems. He was brilliant, Nathan Blake, in that era. At that time, he was unplayable at times, I must admit. I had two really good centre-halves, Tony Humes and Mel Pedgick, who were, who, who, were, who were a great combination, but they had problems with Nathan Blake. Uh, and if I remember rightly, another story to that was uh, Eddie May was the manager at Cardiff, and um, we were playing at the Arms Park, and a week before um, the game... He'd actually released about eight of the players to say they were going to get a contract for the following season. And they were, they were there, they were in the team to play against us, knowing 
that was their last game for Cardiff. But they did not put a shift in that day. Mm. You know, you, that, you couldn't tell that they were going to be, they did it for professional pride, they did, the Cardiff players. Because uh, at times we were just supposed to stay in the game. But we had Gary Bennett. We had, we had a, the goal-scoring phenomenon for us. So, and he, and he got both goals. So it was a, it was a great day all round. Mm. Uh, so and uh, I think the, the the ruling was because UEFA had stated that uh, you could only enter a European competition through via one uh, one route. Well, Wrexham, Swansea, Cardiff had the FA Cup as a route to UEFA, as if Wrexham, Swansea, or Cardiff would win the FA Cup at that time. But it was financially, it was more rewarding. And we would have to come out mm. the FA Cup to join the Welsh Cup. I think mm. that was the scenario at the time. So as a club, we decided, well, we'll get more money out of, the, uh, out of the FA Cup than we will out of the Welsh Cup, unless you win it and then go on to, into Europe. But we've been into Europe twice, I think it was. Twice. And it was financially rewarding, but not, not as much as one game in the third round of the FA Cup against the Premier League team. So... Uh, so we were excluded from from the Welsh Cup, and that was the, the last game. And we knew that this was our last chance. And to vote as winners uh, was very rewarding. I must admit. Going on to so after your time at uh, uh, Wrexham, two thousand one, and you left. But then in I think it was in two thousand two because you became a sort of a coach for Swansea City. But then you became the manager um, there, and it was and it's it's been it's it's heavily. Uh, uh, researched and shown on from Jack to Akeen on the documentary that uh, uh, it, it seems that you, you brought in 21 players in your first season as debuts uh, because of what the financial troubles were at Swansea City at that time. And you saved them from uh, the, the, the relegation to being out of the Football League. So that must have been one hell of a job to do just to sit there and go, Christ, I, I got a lot of on my plate here. I mean, this is going to be something. Yeah, prior to that, um, I think they took over in November. Uh, but the previous season, uh, previous season when all the troubles at Swansea had occurred, going into administration, uh, Tony Petty era, era. I don't know if you're aware of that, Reese. Oh yeah, yeah the, the person who bought him out and uh, everything was happening. He was sacking players, ripping up their contracts. There was turmoil there, and then. The two saviours of Swansea, basically, the main saviours was uh, Hugh Jenkins and Marty Morgan, two local businessmen. And uh, they bought the club out, bought the club off Tony Petty. I don't know much for, reputedly for a pound, but with all the debts. Uh, and uh, in the and at the end of the previous season, Hugh Jenkins... Uh, he put uh, Nick Cusack in charge of Swansea, who at the time, Nick Cusack was a player there. He was also the chairman of the PFA, Professional Footballers Association, at that time. Very high in, you know, high standing position within the PFA. And he was player manager. And uh, he offered me the position in April, I think it was. And he, he said, uh, I'd like you to come and, build the team for next season 
And I said, well, I, yeah, I'd love to do it. I'd like to bring an assistant with me because Kevin Reeves, who had been with me for 12 years at Wrexham, uh, I feel we, we, I, I need him in as well. And Hugh Jenkins said, well, unfortunately, no, you can't. Kevin's won't be coming. And Nick Cusack will be your number two. So I knew, knew of Nick. I knew who he was, obviously. I'm sure he would have made a good number two. But I stuck to my guns and I said, no, I, I, look, Nick can be with us as well, but I, I want to bring in Kevin as my number two. Uh, Nick can be first team coach and he can play as well. So we can teach him the ropes if that's what he wants. And he can have an active involvement in, it, in, it, in everything. But basically, Kevin was going to be my assistant. And he turned it down, and I turned it down because of that. But then come November, they started the season. And uh, they were bottom of the league, and the call came from from Hill. Look, Kevin can come with you. Will he come and save us? And uh, I went down there. I looked at the team. They had um, twenty one professionals. They had five defenders, three, two goalkeepers. 10 midfield players and four strikers or two strikers and two wingers. The balance of the squad was unbelievably bad. Unbelievable. The balance to have 10 midfield players in a squad of 21 was ridiculous. Um, so I said to Hugh, uh, we need uh, 10 in and 10 out. I mean, uh, no, we need five in and 10 out. And I think we'd be all right. And the rest of the players would be, would be good. And through a period of about 10 weeks, we did that. We managed that. But my player knowledge was, was excellent. Me and Kevin, because we had, didn't have a scout at Wrexham, so we did ourselves. So my player, player knowledge was, was, was as good as anybody else's. So we brought in, uh, obviously, Leon Britton. We brought in Alan Tate. Uh, Neil Cutler, um, Martinez, Martinez, yeah, Roberto. We brought Mar Roberto in. There's a good story on that one. Excellent story on that one, Roberto Martinez. Keith, uh, Kevin Nugent, a striker. Lenny John Rose, midfield player. They, they, they settled in perfectly and managed to stay up. It's a bit scary at the end because we thought we'd stayed at our last. Second last game of the season was Rochdale away. And leading up to that, Exeter, who had, uh, who had, obviously it was us or Exeter going out of the league. Exeter were away at York. We were away at Rochdale. If we won, we stayed up. If uh, Exeter lost to, to York, who had never lost a home game all season, I think we're unbeaten at home. And we beat Rochdale. And we came off the pitch and we felt we've done it. The job's done. And then we find out that Exeter had beaten York at uh, uh, at York, so it was down to the last game of the season. It was us and Hull. Mm. So, yeah, it was. Uh, people in Swansea, when I go home now, they uh, that was what what year was it? Two thousand and two, two thousand two, yeah, yeah. two thousand two. Well, ten-year-old boys saying to me, "I was there," but they weren't <laughs> even born. And they were, because their dads had told them the stories 
and, and it's gone down. Yeah, it's. I, um, I was six that that um that year, six years old. Right. Yeah, it was uh, so many good. Well, uh, the the uh, Roy the Rovers story again. Not not only beating them, but the Swansea bomb. Sent James Thomas sent the forward scores a hat trick. Mm. So it's like it, it it was literally Roy the Rovers stuff. No no doubt about that. Uh, and not only that, we did it in the right manner. We played the right way and got got the right, right result. So um, yeah, it was uh, it. Uh, Brought on the it was the start of something big, mm. and I played a part, a small part in that. Me and Kevin, Kevin was so important. Yeah. You know, I, I'm glad I I'm glad I stuck to my guns and kept Kev came with me because I wouldn't have done it. With, we wouldn't have done it without Kev. That's for certain. And then obviously we already had Alan Curtis there, yeah. who was again magnificent. He was a per, we were a perfect trio, and it worked absolutely perfectly with, with Alan because I played with Alan as well. I knew what how much Swansea meant to him playing in the Premier League because uh, Alan, the first first ever game, funnily enough, Swansea played in the top division with Tosh. I played in it for Leeds and they batted us 5-1. And Kurt skipped past me to score the first goal and put it in the top corner from 20 yards. So our, our relationship was has always been strong with me and Kurt and then the three of us got on, did, worked an absolute treat. So, yeah, from a jack to a king, interesting. Since now, it's a good good film, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I got it yeah. somewhere over in my cabinet over there. And oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually one of my favourite sports documentaries. Uh, even though we're hailing from the South Wales, you know, the barrier, even though it's heavily Cardiff, I just... Yeah. It, yeah I yeah. mean, all right, there was a part of me that, that has a bit of a, uh, you know, oh, Jackson. But at the same time, I just got a lot of respect for Swansea and admiration for them because they, they, they were the first Welsh team to get to the Premier League and they did Wales proud, you know, and... Yeah, um, yeah. You, you can't really fault we put, we, put in, we, we put in solid foundations. That's what we did. Yeah. Uh, that was that was the most important thing. When I took over, I said to Hugh Jenkins, look, this is going to be a hell of a roller coaster ride, but uh, there'll, be, uh, there'll be more ups and downs, but the downs will feel worse. Uh, because I don't think we won for the first five games, something like that. We were well adrift at the bottom. We were struggling, but the highs were very high. Yeah. Well, speaking of the highs of the highs, um, this is where a lot of people would say that uh, Gary Speed was the one who started it all, but a lot of people say it was John Tosha. But I beg to differ. I think you were the one who started this one off, considering that John Tosha told you to start to work with the under-17s, 19s, and under-21s of Wales, you bringing in the likes of Bale, Gunter, Ramsey, Ash Williams, Hennessy, Allen, Bobson Cannon. I still laugh at that story, uh, <laughs> Brian. I still laugh at yeah. that. Uh, is he Welsh? Oh, yeah, you go on holiday. Will you not? Right, you're in. Um, <laughs> Sam it's true. The fact is true. And, and, and there's so many, uh, so many good stories. That, like, uh, Brian McDermott was manager at Reading. And if I was if I when I was on my scouting trips, if I was going to London, uh, I'd always so I'd say that I do uh, I do a game on Friday night in the London area, whoever that may be. It might have been Reading, it could have been Reading, might have been Fulham. Then go to a game on Saturday morning, which was either Arsenal, youth team, Chelsea, Tottenham, Fulham again, Reading. So what I used to do, I 
because I knew Brian McDermott well, the manager, mm. and we had uh, Simon Church there mm. and Jake Taylor. Uh, Jake never made, Jake had a good career at Exeter. Uh, he's had a good playing career professionally. Simon got obviously got into the Welsh team. And going to Hogwood Park, the training ground was great. They were so welcoming. And um, it just so happened that uh, when I went there, uh, a player who was there, who was at Burnley when, when I finished at Wrexham, uh, a hell of a ca- character, Glenn Little, was at Reading at the time. And he's the one, you know the story, he's, he's the one instigated the, the conversation with, with uh <clears throat> With Hal, he's the one that set it all up inadvertently, I must admit. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, Tosh, Tosh was key to everything because um, I remember meeting him in Verdi's in Mumbles and he put the plan to me and he said, uh, well, he had to do it in the Basque country, didn't he? Couldn't sign any players outside the Basque country for Sociedad. So he had to produce his own team, his own players. They couldn't buy anybody outside. And uh, he, he said to me, well, you manager at Wrexham, how many teams did you have at Wrexham? I said, obviously, the first team. We had some sort of reserve team and a youth team. He said, well, there's three teams there. You manage them all, don't you? I said, yeah. Well, it's the same principle, 17s, 19s and 21s. And at this point, it's, it'd be, it's difficult not to criticise the individual coaches or them groups at that time. But the message coming through is that the under-17s coach wouldn't release his better players to the under 19 squad to fast track him because obviously he wanted to win the under 17 tournament or the group stages, whatever, and taking away the best players to promote them, which was the, the right decision, they, the squads never changed. Nobody, nobody went from the 17s to the 19s, or very few did anyway. Nobody went from 17s to 21s. Mm. Uh, but I changed that. Uh, changed that straight away because, well, obviously, if a sixteen-year-old is good enough to play in the first team, you've got to play him in the twenty-ones. Oh yeah. So, so I think Gareth Bale only played one twenty-one game and the twenty-one game for Wales, and that was at Port Talbot. <laughs> Funnily enough, my own town. There's a, we played. Yeah, there's a picture of him in the squads in the squad photo yeah. and that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing I really want to mention is. Because I was there that day when John Toshak got the um, was relieved of his uh, duties as a Wales manager. Obviously, he had to take over as caretaker manager. Um, obviously, one of them was the Bulgaria game at the Cardiff City Stadium. I was there. Yeah. I, I was there that day, and um, I had two tickets. And my my mum, my mum, and my um, you know my my dad can come. No one could come, so my mum came with me. She's not a big football fan, but she came with with me yeah. and it was just a lovely moment even though uh, we lost that night but it was nice to, that's why I was thinking oh my god you know you managed Wales and I was there that day when you did the when you did manage Wales All right, even though it was caretaker role or whatever but what was it like just to, to be standing on a touchline managing the likes of you know Gareth Bale and, and maybe well I've done it at least I've done it with young, most of that squad was uh, developed through the, 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 the group group ages the age groups uh, some of them were experienced, they all knew me I used to go and watch the first team and be involved in the first team with Tosh when I weren't involved anyway, so I was always in and around the senior squad whenever it didn't clash with games with the, the 17s, 19s or 21s, so I was always there so I knew all the players uh, you know, 
well. So in that sense, it was e easy for me to slip into it, to do difficult results. Bulgaria, I think it was Luther, Luther Mateus' first game for Bulgaria, I think it was his coach. And 1-0, wasn't it? Was yeah, 1-0. 1-0 loss. Uh, yeah, it was a close game, but we didn't, we weren't great. And then a couple of days later, we had to go to Switzerland. And I remember Shakiri was brilliant that night. Mm. Uh, who was obviously now at Liverpool, but he, he, he was absolutely brilliant that night, Shakiri. We lost 3-1 over in... Gareth Bale scored first. I thought, ah, this is it, we're OK. I had ambitions to manage Wales, obviously full-time, but it wasn't to be. That's the way... I Look, I'm, I was experienced enough to know that's how it is in football. And Gary Speed took over then, soon after. Um, yeah. It, it, it must have... Did you think that... I mean, oh... It, he, he helped, you know, he, he made people of Wales believe again. But uh, in your opinion, did, did you feel like, oh, that's a bit, bit risky? But did you thought, nah, Gary, Gary's Welsh through and through. He, he's got the knowledge. He's got young. He's got ambition. He's, he's going to do it. Was that your perspective? Uh, yeah, you yeah. And, I thought, I, 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 and, and, and he, he, he was obviously impressing that the, the 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 future of Welsh football is is with the young players which for me which which was which was perfect you know uh tosh was very traditional in terms of training methods they were all right he said right we did this at liverpool and we won everything there's no there's no magic formula about training you know it's what you do the only thing the things he used always used to say say was uh to have a good training session, you need like 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 any good boxer, you need a good sparring partner. All these world champion boxers, their sparring partners are not far behind them because they test them. And he what he wanted in in training sessions was players to test each other uh, in training sessions to make them better. And young players did that. And uh, even though his training method, methods were. Uh, traditional. Uh, I remember Ryan Giggs speaking and Ryan said, oh, he's different. Tosh, he's definitely different, but he's the manager. It's, we've, got to, we've got to give him what he wants. That's how it is. You know, we can't decide which form, which, which formation to play. We can't do that. That's the manager's job to do that. Uh, but there was disquiet, would you say, certain mm. players, and without naming names, famous players who were just didn't looking back, didn't take to Tosh, and I think they knew that possibly the their international careers was would soon be ended with a number of young players coming through. So I think there was a little bit of uh, uh, they were they were a bit traumatized that oh my my international career is going to be coming to an end soon because of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And Gary changed things. Obviously, got uh, the scientists involved in the. The analysts and the scientists and uh, conditioners and uh, all these things, which was <coughs> which was prominent in the in the Premier League then, wasn't it? Mm. You know the number of staff. I think the number of staff quadrupled uh, when Tosh. Like Tosh, there was Tosh, Roy Evans, and Dean Saunders basically, and there was a medical backroom staff with a couple of physios, and that was it. So. You've got to mention, you know, the Euro 2016 squad and everything and how they reached so far. 
or even today, you know, even though the round of the round of 16 in Euro 2020, a lot of people are very disappointed there. But I've actually been, I was actually really proud that we got there because I predicted that. I, I thought, well, we're going to be, we're going to be in the round of 16. I don't think we're going to reach any further, but I was proud that the players did that because I know for a fact that now we could be regulars just reaching the, the final stages. If Absolutely, we just, yes. If we could yeah. be the, in the final stages, I couldn't ask for anything less, N- nothing else. But it's like a lot of people have always said about um, uh, John Tosher, Gary Spee and Chris Coleman and everything. There's always got to be the man behind the scenes. And even though you're Wells under 21 manager and everything, your name always pops up. And I was reading an article, uh, there's Welsh football fans, and it says the man who saved Welsh football or, you know, football, international football, (laughs) your name is mentioned. I mean, um, do, do you ever do you agree on that uh, statement? And also, do you think um, when you look when you looked at the Euro twenty sixteen squad, do you think proud of you lads? You've 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 reached it. You know, I th- I th- the, the, the the one of the proudest things for me um, is uh, the the best. I'll, I'll come back to that. The the best thing for me was <clears throat> when when every young player needs to see, uh, needs to have an opportunity, basically. And they need to believe that they got it. If they're good enough, they're going to have a chance. The worst part, the, the, the biggest problem for young players is if they feel they're doing really well and don't get the opportunity. I used, I used, I used to say to them, uh, if you're good enough, you, I'll get you into the first team. I'm your passport to success. Mm. I'm, I'm the one because I, if, if I ask Tosh, if I say to Tosh, he's ready, he'll pick you. So that is the opportunity. That's the window of opportunity for young players. Uh, and it happened so often, it just kept going and going and getting better and better and better. So I, have, I am proud of what we set up, what foundations we put in. Uh, the biggest thing I'm proud of is Chris Gunter's 100 caps. Mm. Absolutely brilliant for a player like Chris. Not only that, 76 consecutive games. Yeah. That is some consistency. Yeah. And it's, that and is. It, yeah. And the thing is, as well, with Chris Gunter, he's not like your. I know Gareth Bale's reaching the 100 cap and Wayne Hennessy. But he's not like he's not like Gareth Bale or Ryan Giggs, where he's played in Real Madrid and he's um, he's played in Man United or he's played at you know high level. Well, he has played in high level football, but some yeah. of the clubs he's played for, they're not really regarded as um, the, the best of the best, if you know what I mean. But he's still got yeah. to hundred caps because yeah, absolutely fantastic for Chris, for for him and and his family, his parents and uh, his brother. Obviously, I've met him loads of times. Great family, great support to him, and uh, he's he's, uh, he's he's iconic. He's as iconic as Gareth and Aaron, isn't he? For for, for exactly that reason, for the, the consistency consistency he's shown over these 10, 12 years has been fantastic. Last question then for you, uh, Brian Flynn, and it's always a tradition for me on the podcast, and I always say, ask the, this question is, how do you look back on your career? Uh, how do I look back on my career? Playing or managing? Both. It's better, it's better playing, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to be part of a really close-knit team for Wales. 
the only club-wise who regrets I never played in the cup final. Um, uh, the 12 years at Wrexham were exceptional uh, in terms of managing. My first manager's job as such, and to win the Welsh Cup record times as we did, uh, to financially turn the football club around, to build a training ground from scratch at Wrexham, which is going to be there for, for, for eternity. Uh, doing, doing eight years with the under 21, 19s and 17s. You'd be surprised how many players didn't make it. I, would, I know I get lauded because of the numbers that made it, but the percentage of players who didn't make it would probably be high. You know, so they had they all them young players had dreams as well. But uh, uh, like every 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 Welshman, uh, when when you put that jersey on, something something inside happens. It really does. It changes you. It uh, it motivates you uh, to bigger and better things. And uh, so I, I have no complaints, obviously. Uh, but playing is better than managing. But it's a it's a close call. Very close call indeed. This podcast is sponsored by DRC Group Limited. DRC Group Limited is an official waste management company based in Cardiff. If you have any waste that needs to go and can't find the appropriate business to do it, look no further than the DRC Group Boys. They will provide you with the best service and positive attitude when it comes to solving your waste issues. And these guys are available throughout the week. If you want to get in contact with them, you can look them up on all their social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, or even Instagram. Or even phone them on their number at 07837 256 124. Again, if you want to contact them on all their social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, or social media, or even their phone number, their phone number is 07837 256 124. If you're looking for the best quality service and the right people to get rid of your waste, then again, DRC Group Limited is the business for you.